Hey, everybody, and welcome to Hashtag Actor Life, John Rosenfeld Studios podcast. I am your host, John Rosenfeld. So today we have on the very talented David Abbott. I'm really excited about this episode. It went in a direction I really wasn't expecting. Now, David is not only one of our amazing actors at the studio, but he runs our social media, but not just ours. David is a social media manager for many across all different types of industries. The guy is a genius. Also, a viral sensation on TikTok with his mom videos. You should watch him. So while I originally brought him on to talk about all things social and how to find a career that supports your acting, we found ourselves in a wonderful conversation on vulnerability, relationships, and taking chances and starting over. I'm excited for you all to meet the wonderful David Abbott. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Afterlife, not Afterlife, once again. Uh, uh, and David uh, Abbott is our guest today. Um, he actually helped me come up with the title, Hashtag Afterlife. Where did you get that, David? First of all, thank you for giving me the credit. You didn't have to. And second of all, it's got to be the number one thing people put after uh, all their posts on Instagram. It's it's hashtag actor life, closely followed by hashtag onset. But since not all of us are blessed with a lot of onset time, hashtag actor life is kind of the top notch. So it fits right in with the trend of social media. There you go. Well, yeah. I'd say David is one of my favorite people. He started the studio at 2015. Uh, and it's been really a privilege to watch his journey coming in and just watching his life evolve and figure out how to uh, make acting a priority while also uh, cultivating a life that he really wants to have um, and uh, making adjustments and all of that. And since the podcast is about like really letting the audience feel witnessed what they're experiencing. Uh, I think you are just an amazing guest to have, David. Well, thank you. And I do feel like my journey at JRS has been a big one, actually. I feel like I remember when I first came in, I was often coming to class unprepared, often unmemorized. It, class came to, it was it was like I needed to be in class, but I didn't want to have to put the effort in to be good in class. And you often, and I remember a shift where I was like, what am I doing? Why am I coming to class, spending money on class, but not putting the effort to grow in class? And it was a definite shift. And not that I'm always like the best preparer always, but there was definitely a shift of like, let's at least come in knowing what you want, having some ideas, being pretty off book, like try to be the top, you know, we're not ranking scenes, but I know people that have worked who were in class, they go, you know, I knew I was going to be okay when I started seeing that like my scenes were among the best in the class. And I was like, yeah, I want to have my scenes a lot be the best in the class. So my work ethic and my idea of class changed a couple of years ago. And it's interesting that I've seen other people's journeys um, do the same, but I feel like I'm in a really good spot now with both that and life in general. Well, yeah, David, I love that you said that because I do remember very clearly you coming into class, you know, and I knew how talented you were. That was clear. But I also, we've talked about this, your, you, your eyes were a little unclear. I could see it in your face that there was a lack of certainty about what direction you were going. And I told you that I gave that, I said that very thing to Adam Ray, you know, Adam many years ago, where he was like, what's happening? I go, you don't have the look yet. And when I talk about that look, it's, I think it's a combination of just clarity of what you're going after, you know, a conviction of what you want. And I think often people will come and they're just kind of feeling in a fog because they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They know where they want to go. Like, they, I know I want to be working, but they don't actually know the steps that you're taking. And that leads to a kind of fog. Yeah. And I think it's how do we get out of that fog and into that clarity? And once you have clarity, you know how to pursue it. And it sounds like we, what I hear you saying is like, okay, my first immediate goal is I just want to be able to, I, I can see that I'm good. And now I want to be that person who's always, who's consistently good at what they do and able to tell the story that they want to tell. Yeah. And, and I think what, 
everyone struggles with is when you have three months of no auditions or you haven't booked in six months, all of a sudden you're like, you know, fuck this business. Like, I'm not going to give it the benefit of my hard work if it's not going to give me something back. And so then you can get, and then, so you're like, well, I'm in class and you want to tell yourself that's enough. Just the fact that I've signed up. And then you're like, oh, actually it takes, I need to be then more accountable to myself. And yeah. And, um, have my own growth, you know, be excited about my own growth and be excited about doing it for me and not for somebody else. And I think that's where the difference is, is like you get excited to do it for you. And then once you have that kind of accountability, that helps motivate you. I am really intrigued by your journey because first of all, you know, uh, you went to University of Michigan. Correct. You were in New York, you were in the Blue Man Group. <laughs> Briefly, yes. Briefly, uh, which uh, I, I later want to talk about that. But when you came to LA, you know, I mean, listen, you were a really capable human who could have been a lawyer, uh, uh, a doctor, whatever, whatever you wanted. Did you ever think about being a lawyer or anything? Oh, at what, what point you were thinking about uh, politics? A diplomat. I wanted diplomat. to be a diplomat. Well, if I didn't get into acting school, I was going to go into journalism. And then I got into acting at Michigan. And then... I fell into PR almost right away in LA. So I've always had a business side of me. I was talking to somebody else, a groundling, and we were talking for some reason, talking about law. And we were like, I think every actor has thought I'd be a pretty good lawyer because like, you know, you think I got the gift of gab. I'm quick on my feet. I could do an argument. So I think we all think about being a lawyer, but then we all look at the LSAT and we think, is it worth that much work? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I forget where we were going from there. Well, I'm talking about how capable you were. And right. I, and, and then I think that this, sometimes what happens is, which I, 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 listen, I own an acting studio and I think I personally, um, got very impatient. That was one of my, 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 my Achilles heels was the lack of patience and yeah. where I found meaning when I wasn't getting the opportunities that I wanted was in teaching. Yeah. Hence why I have a studio that became my, where, where I was finding fulfillment outside of being on set and auditioning. And I think it is wildly important since we all have to be a series of hyphenates. And I think you are a great example of a person who has found their hyphenates. Right. And I am, I am curious about that journey. And also I ask you like, at what point I think for when we intuitively feel that our lives are not exactly meeting our ambition, meaning like, I know I have so much to offer and I want to have an opportunity to offer those things. I found that in teaching. So I am curious about your journey. Were you ever feeling like you weren't fully, uh, you were, your life wasn't meeting your ambition. And by the way, for all of us, that's always a constant lifelong goal. But I mean, at one point, at what point was that an obstacle? That mindset. Yeah, I found my 20s was very much more in the moment. I'm like, I'm working, I'm making money, I'm dating, I'm hanging out with friends, I'm booking sometimes, I'm having fun. Having fun kind of seemed in my 20s like one of the main goals of my life. And I had a, I wasn't serving, and that was a big goal for me. I, you know, obviously, many people serve and make probably more money than I do. So right. uh, no disrespect to servers, but for me, I was like, I can't live in LA, you know, for an undetermined amount of time and just be a server. I, I knew that would be, that wasn't up my alley. So then I found this social media, I was a social media director of a PR firm and that allowed me to feel like, okay, I have a life. And for better or worse, that gave me a sense of comfort that didn't allow me to lax in my concentration on becoming a better actor. Probably because I, it, I didn't need, I mean, I needed acting creatively, but in terms of monetarily or to like, feel like I was doing a life. It wasn't like James Franco living in a basement. Not that we can mention James Franco. Um, I would say though, interesting, John, in the last five years, this idea of what is my purpose came on very strong. Cause I was thinking, okay, I have my business, my social media business. I'm booking sometimes even especially in the last two years, I'm like, I'm making the money that I thought in my head, like, this is the amount of money I want to make to be happy. I had all those things. And I'm like, I'm not that happy. I'm not depressed, but I'm feel unfulfilled. 
and my therapist turned me on to a book, which I don't remember right now, but we can make put it in the show notes or something. It was written by these guys that uh, teach at Brown. And it was for people, for both students or I'm 39, my age, who don't know what they want to do with their life. And they're like, there's this stigma that if you're in college or at any point, if you don't know what you want to do, what your purpose is, then you're a weirdo. You're an outcast. What's wrong with you? And their point was like, we, a lot of us go through that, or a lot of us go through a second stage of life. Um, and so one of the exercises in that book was, what do you do where time flies? And so it makes me think, and I, and what, for one of my clients, I shoot these lawyer TikTok videos where they're either funny sketches or hosting, and it's all about employment law. And I thought, when I'm, I, I write, direct, act, and edit them. And when I'm on set doing those, I have, we have a videographer, a couple of actors, and a client. Time flies for me. I'm like coming up with ideas. We're laughing. And I thought, okay, that's a great, so I like being that on set or like involved around people. And that position for me with that law firm has grown. And so I thought, wow, well, I can continue to use this platform. I don't know what the next step is, but I think I'm in the right area. And I don't know what's next, but I think I'm in the right direction, knowing that like I'm not completely fulfilled yet. And I think that's how a lot of us feel. First of all, I have two things to say. One, you would be a terrible server. <laughs> I was. You so were, you nailed it. <laughs> you would be so awful. I can't imagine uh, any patron having a good experience with you. Right, thank you. Uh, yeah, that's not your. That's not your. <laughs> not your thing. Uh, but I will. I. I am. I am hearing it, it is finding a creative outlet. So I want to know what your journey, how did you, and, and uh, uh, in full transparency, David does the social media for JRS um, and is a lovely partner. And I do enjoy creating with you. Uh, but how did you happen upon the uh, social media in general? Like that rap became in, uh, is it from working in PR? You just started to find that you were, uh, uh, well, was no, when I started in PR, there was no social media, which okay. is funny to think about how old I am. Um, I was telling the story the other day. I, I, I would needed a job and okay. I saw a PR company on Craigslist and I literally in my cover letter goes, I don't really know what PR is, but I know I'm good with people and that I think I could be good for your business. And somehow it was, you know, and it was longer than that, but somehow that got me in. And then when, when I saw she had other cover letters on her desk and it, they were all marked up, like everyone else that said cover letter couldn't even put a sentence together. So a, the lesson is just like, if you can just put together something honest and that makes sense, you're already above the fray. And I just took a little leap and then social media was coming on the scene and they go, why don't you take care of social media for these clients? Figure it out. Uh -huh. And then through that, I got hired as a social media director at another firm who had no idea what social media was. So now I'm 25. I'm a social media director. I, and honestly, Instagram hadn't even, it was just Facebook and link building was social media at the time. Right. And then when I got Blue Man Group, I quit my full-time job, moved to New York, did Blue Man, got fired, <laughs> moved back. And then I was like, well, I don't want to work nine to five anymore. And that's where I started my own social media business. For years, I was very impoverished. I a lot of people ask me, Dave, how do I get into social media myself? I want to do it. I say, be ready to be poor. And I would work for a company first because the only reason I got any clients on my own is because I had social media director on my resume. It makes people trust you. The key in social media is how do, why, why would I trust you? There's a th Everyone says they can do social media. Why do I trust you? So anyone that wants to be in social media, they have to figure out how do I build trust when I go out to trying to sell my services to other people. And then, right. and so through, then I did temp agency work as a temp social media guy at different ad agencies. And through that, I built a network and through that, I got bigger clients. And now I'm in, a, in the best place I've ever been 10 years after starting out on my own. So it was overnight. Success. Overnight success, just like my acting career. Yes. Um, and so I would not suggest anyone, I, I regret doing just freelance work from home and not like when I first moved out here, I turned down a job as an assistant at William Morris. I regret it. I turned down other assistant jobs because I thought I'm acting. I'm, I'm out here to act. No, who cares? And sure. Yes. But also like looking back, would a year of 
William Morris, instead of the, doing the two auditions I got that year, would have that been more beneficial to my life? Probably. I see people all the time turn down huge opportunities because they're like, well, I'm out here to act. Especially with self-tapes, you can self-tape any time of day. Getting a big opportunities out here when you don't know where it would lead you in your life, I think are so important. And I think people are missing out when they don't take advantage of them. I love what you're saying right now because I know I was one of the, the I, I was um, guilty of that mindset is that we predetermine how, what success is supposed to look like, that it's supposed to be A to B to C to D, like that there's just a trajectory that we're supposed to follow yeah. rather than that success is such a circuitous route. Yeah. You know, and everybody who hears these things, you know, about, well, this happened, it's People, I wish more people talked about the deviations from the story we think we're supposed to tell. Yeah. You know? And I think for someone like you, I love that, that, that idea of, yeah, what would the William Morris have hurt? Uh, right. For me, what I, you know, even when I, I remember when I started the studio, I was so afraid it was going to impact my acting career, you know? And I remember I got an audition within a week of starting it and I got an opportunity and I had so little patience. I was like, God damn it, I don't have time. I have to coach this person. I went in, I got the job. I went in because I felt like it was on my, I was like, I don't have time for this. I'm, you're lucky I'm here. And it really changed my relationship to the other audition. It's like, I'm going to give you my time, but that's it. And then when I got the job, there was also this part of like, why have I not approached everything like this? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I yeah. think that, but I love that it's, it's, it's not just about, you know, the idea of, How's it supposed to be? But even when it comes to your personal life, and I would love to talk about that for a second. Like I know that you were, my God, talk about the turns you've you've taken. Uh, you were supposed to be married a couple of years ago. <laughs> yep. Uh, to a lovely human being, uh, and you had been engaged for a while, and you it ended shortly before the wedding was supposed to happen. Three months out. I love waiting till the last second. Yes. Yes. No, but I think. That must have been such a crisis of conscience and hung on you very heavy, but you were making a decision that you, an epic decision based on what would be best for you and your partner in the long run. And that means taking a big leap of faith about like, what truly do I need and what will make me what's going to feel good right now and for the future. And that's also kind of abandoning the idea of like, this is what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to get married by this age. This is what's supposed to happen. So it's basically like you are, you're, you're basically saying, I'm not going to believe in the timeline that I've created internally. Yeah. And I mean, to take it out to a, a kind of even a broader look at that situation and how it can apply to many situations is a, you feel like, okay, this isn't necessarily maybe going the way I thought it was going to go, but I'm at the time 38. I was like, I'm too old to start over. Right. Too, like, I, it's too late into our dating. You, all the things that we feel with career, with acting, with a lot of things, we often feel like, well, I, I have to do this because I'm already behind. I can't be more behind. Right. That sounds awful. And it's fucking scary to make a big change that is going to be terrible and sad and, yeah. and put you in some ways in a sadder place than you are even already are just less turmoil. And by, and two things that, you know, I, I thank God that I had a, ther a, a therapist who I had then and still have now who is very helpful during the situation. You know, they don't take sides, but you know, two things you would often say to me is, Dave, you know, 38, in the grand scheme of things, you're a young man. You have a, a whole life ahead of you. And why, you know, why do something that you don't want to do now? He's like, you can. And a, lot, and a lot of people do it. But like, you know, I'd hate to see you do something that you, you're not 100% about now when you have so much ahead of you was A, one thing. And, and I, I think we can all, I think almost no matter what age you are, you can think that way. And B, he said, and this was the most important thing he said, is Dave, I think you need some courage. And I tell people that line a lot when it, comes, wow. when it comes to relationships and a lot of things. Cause I thought if I was being real honest with it myself, I was like, you're right. I don't 
have courage. I'm taking all the different easy ways. And I think any of us who have like, you know, we want to be like the, the best version. You're like, okay, well then I need to step up to myself. And that, you know, I think that was big for me then. And that's something I continue to try to tell myself now. I think 38 is a really big age yeah. because it feels like all of this subconscious material that's in your head begins to crystallize into something really quite uh, uh, huge and kind of saying, you have to look at it. You, you can't, it's, it's basically staring at you in the face. Yeah. All of these fears, all of these insecurities that you maybe could deflect or run away from are suddenly just now standing right before you and really just like staring at you and you can't run away from it. Nobody's like, people are going, oh, he's 26. You know, it's okay. Nobody goes, oh, he's 38. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, you're 38. Like, why don't you have it all figured out is how it feels like, you know, what, what society thinks of you. Well, I found that from 35 to 38, all this stuff was brewing. Yeah. All the stuff. And then finally at 38, I had to own it and believe it and really kind of make some strong decisions. And but I find that the people who don't honor that and just stay the course of whatever, maybe even surrendering to, well, I guess that's just life. That does not, that's really not what you just said. We, we're, we're losing the, if they don't find that courage, Yeah, it has, uh, it's not a great end to that story. Yeah. You know, and I think we've all witnessed that where you're just like, no, 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 no. And maybe we'll find it on later, but it's just like, take a bet now. You yeah. Know, get on yourself now. And I think we can all, we all have a friend or think of a person who, who is stuck, you know, who isn't using the courage to get out of the shitty job, get out of the shitty relationship, something. And we all see them and we all think we're not them until we're all in that position and we see ourselves meandering, playing it safe. And, you know, I'll still do that in, in going forward, but it's, it's, I think it's recognizing it in yourself. And then you start seeing it in other people and how do you just, how do you change that? Well, speaking about you and like that clarity, remember I told you, I said, when you first got to the studio, there was a little bit of a fog. Yeah. And I feel like you began when you're acting, I think you really confronted yourself, you yeah. know, during that period. And your acting really started to take off. And I think, you know, I watched you grow and I find that that, again, this is about a willingness to confront yourself because in acting, you have to confront yourself. And then you took off. And then I think the fog came back for a little bit when you were going through that period. And then once you actually made that big life choice, I saw the clarity come back and your acting took off again. And I think that's a really good uh, insight into God, does our acting reveal where we're at or our humanity? Well, and it's impossible, I find, to stay inspired all the time when the industry constantly beats you down. So, you know, when you've, yeah. Does it, does it, does, does it, does it do that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, yes, one, going through tough times, but I think two, so, like, I, I think we're, none of us are being honest with ourselves if we're in an acting class or even with when it comes to auditions, when we haven't booked in six months and you're just like figuring life out, yeah, you're coming to class sometimes being like, whatever, dude, like who, who, who even, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. And that, those waves definitely hit. And, and I also find that when I came out here, I was very brave with my acting. I mean, a lot of it was shitty, but also there were times when I really popped because I was like, I didn't even know any better. I was just like, here's me. God. And let me give the best. But then you get beaten down for so long or you're told to do it this way or that way that I found that my acting constricted. I, I, I would see that I was less free in my acting because I was more scared. I was so beaten down that I was like, well, I'm not famous from doing it that way. So now I have to do it this other way that... I'm not even quite sure what it is. I'm trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And I feel like now I'm trying to get back. Like I just did this 48 hour film festival over the weekend. 
And I didn't know what it was going to be. All of a sudden I'm the lead and it's a comedy and I'm a bodyguard. None of these things, like, am I a bodyguard? No, but it was a comedy. And what I did is I brought Dave to it in like the best way that I knew how to bring my humor. And it really popped. And and uh, people have said a lot of nice things about it. And that was my goal. I was like, sometimes I forget to bring, we forget to bring the best of ourselves into our work. And instead we're trying to appease the casting director, the acting coach. What should this be? Instead of like, well, what? Like you watch Michael Fassbender in a movie, like in general, it's Michael Fassbender, his best work and kind of left and right of that. And I think we often lose like, well, if I'm casting Dave Abbott, do I know what I get when I bring in Dave Abbott? I'm trying to refine that. But don't you think, I think all acting process, every methodology is really just getting, helping actors get out of their own fucking way. Yeah, It's really undoing everything that's happened after the age of eight. Right. Right. Where, you know, you watch little kids, they're popping. I mean, they are popping, right? I'm mean, not all of them, obviously, but they're popping because they don't even know what it's like not to pop. They are, they're, they're, they're sitting in their imagination and they're not editing going, well, maybe this is stupid. Maybe this is dumb, you know? Oh, I'm going to let that person's going to judge me. And, and then they grow up and then all of a sudden they get to a place in their life where someone tells them you're not getting the job because you're too tall or you're too short or that's not working. You don't even know why you didn't get the job. Or you don't even know why they didn't get the job. And that's where all of a sudden that, that other, that third eye comes in and that fucking third eye, which is wondering, which now begins to edit. Yeah, exactly. But I do agree a lot with that idea of as an actress, you are, we want you to get to that place where you have an intuitive feeling of being in your sweet spot. Right. And I think actors sometimes go through this period, understandably, of like where they're almost disoriented going, I don't even know where my sweet spot exists. And all you can say is be patient, Yeah, you know, be patient and you will find it. I think sometimes people want an instruction manual, but the whole point is that instruction manual is so intellectual, that's not going to get you in your sweet spot. Right. Right. So I think it is based on a certain level of intuition. Yeah. So it sounds like your intuition that you are intuitively, uh, you have intuitively found your, your sweet spot. Yeah. And instead of like what you say, instead of trying to change my talents and skills for every audition, you try to bring, you know, you want to be true to the material and, and what part you serve, but also then how is it unique? I just think back on so many auditions where I just think, God, that was so bland because I didn't bring any of my unique things or a unique point of view. And so I think, yeah, the more I'm just trying to find more ways, you know, if I, if I do well, and I've always been the guy in business that they send into the room. And so like, I have that thing. And it's like, okay, how do you bring more and more of that into your acting? Yeah. Well, you know, acting is also about, you know, expanding your authenticity. Right. You know, and I think when we can expand our authenticity, then we just find more points of view and more stories to tell. And that just uh, allows people to go, I want David not just for that, but I also want David for that. I'm writing down that quote, John, for, um, uh, for our Instagram how do actors expand their authenticity? Cause I think that's true. Yeah. And I think when, I think, you know, sometimes you will watch certain actors, you can make an entire career from a very limited authenticity, you yeah. know, and they might be in a show for 20 years. God yeah. bless them. You know yeah. what I mean? But for yeah. a lot of actors that we know, you know, I mean, I have plenty of actors who've been on shows for years that, but all that want to do other stuff. Because when you are just exploring one point of view, you're like, I love it. I'm really grateful. I love that. I, I love this job. But, you know, it, during my hiatus, I'd really like to go maybe stretch myself or explore something that I have yet to explore. And I think that also goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of job. Do something that isn't acting. Do right. Things. I think so many actors, you're told in in school, if you don't put a hundred percent into yourself, it's not going to work out. You have to be dedicated. So we're all like, I can't do anything else. But then all of a sudden our happiness and worth is a hundred percent on whether we're booking or acting or not. And as you get older, you realize like most people are meant to do more than one thing. You, everybody has more than one talent and it's such a waste to go through a whole you know, you meet these 50, 60 year olds who still are taking bit parts and have done nothing else. And you're like, okay, respect the hustle. But like, we're all meant to do more than one thing. It's okay to expand and to explore those other options too. It doesn't make you less of an actor. 
God, I love that. But I think it goes back to that very stuck mindset that it was supposed to happen this way. Yeah. And I do want to ask you, like, how does, at what point did you, I'm sure you still do it sometimes, but what point did you stop comparing your journey to other people, to those of other people? Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm the worst at comparing myself. I, I spend therapy sessions uh, talking about comparing myself, but I think, I think, I mean, you meet these Zen people that are like, I don't compare whatever their success is not my failure. That's great. I think many of us can't help it, but I think the best you can do is use it. Know that their success isn't your failure. Try to, if anything, what I do is I just try to verbalize support for other people and happiness. And then that at least even tricks the mind into thinking, yeah, you are supportive of other people's successes and drives. And in the end, the amount of time I think of this, uh, I listen to Sam Harris podcast and they, they talk about overthinking and regret. And they talk about like the more time you spend in the past thinking about regret is literally wasted time. You can't change it. And another thing they said is like, a lot, of, I'm an overthinker. And they're like, it sounds like you think the more you think about it, you can change the past which right. I do think that is what overthinkers think. And I know I do too. It's like, if I think about this enough, something will change, but that's not accurate. And so I really, this is like a last six months thing is just really trying to leave the resentments and the regrets and the comparisons really notice when I do it and notice how much it's not serving me. My, um, my best friend introduced me to something years ago where he would always say he had it on his computer too. Uh, if you have one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow, you're in a perfect position to shit on today. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is, uh, I, I, that always crosses my mind. Um, but speaking of that uh, idea of comparison, I will never forget. I was um, my dear friend uh, who I coached him on something that he booked uh, with everything that I had given him and I wanted to get in for that part so badly. Uh, uh, but he booked it and I was very happy for him. And he, the, the show went to series and he was making a shit ton of money. And it was a really big moment for me because I felt an enormous amount of jealousy or, and whatever it was for what he was living in. And I, I, um, I had a difficult time even looking at him because it kept on getting reminding me of, like where I would, where I'd like to be. And it was a really lovely moment where I just was honest with him. I go, I have to say, and I, I go, I hate this about me right now, but I am looking at you with envy and I just need to, I need to articulate it because I don't want to feel like I'm keeping a secret from you. Mm. And he was so lovely in how he, what he said back. He's like, Hey man, I get it. I was there when I had friends book jobs. Yeah. And then we hugged it out and it went away. Oh. And then I was able to completely, you know, be enormously happy for him. Um, and it was interesting because, but then I also had a friend who booked a show that I had worked with him on and he was so delightful. He got, you know, John, he's like, this is my, I, look at this moneymaker. He said, look at this moneymaker. He's like, I got a short window. I got a small window. I'm going to take advantage of it. You know, he's like, I think it'll happen in your 30s. So, and then my agent had called me when I had test, like uh, come really close to something and said, John, I'm so sorry, but I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I think you're going to have to wait till your thirties to get that really good job. And I was like, but I'm only 28. <laughs> I don't have time. And I remember what I did today. I booked a, a, a really great gig and I was just like, God, like there's, it's never going to happen when you want it to. So you better be happy in the meantime. And the blessing and curse of living in LA is you're going to have a friend who has a series regular. You're going to have Unless the hanging out with the wrong group. You better right, have right, right. You, you might not. You better. Better though. Yeah. Better. But I certainly have. And you watch people, you know, you're in a play with someone today and tomorrow they're huge. They're a star. I went to a college with Darren Chris, who's relatively largely famous now. And I knew him as uh just the guy who you see are in the hallway or, and you know, be like, Oh, Dave Abbott. And all of a sudden you're an icon. 
And it's like, it's very, it can be very hard. Um, but I also find it motivating because you're like, you touch them. You're like, you're a person. Yeah. Uh, I, you're not God. I've seen you do bad work. And yeah. so you're like, oh, so it's possible. And you're not yeah. that different than me. And it's really dangerous to put anybody on a pedestal. But you watch yeah. Darren, who's Darren's lovely, you know, and you watch him be really hot, cool off, yeah. and hot. It just, that's, that's this career. And we've watched so many people ascend, you know, but the people who really ascend and stay there are the ones, it's like, think about some of our clients that have really ascended by hyphenating. Yeah. Yeah. By going off the single path where they're not just doing the movie, but they're doing the stand up or creating their own show or doing whatever it is rather than it just being this, this again, that linear line. Yeah. Well, um, Brian Jordan Alvarez is a former client of yours, correct? Yeah. And he, I know he, him and Anna Murray, I both follow on social media. And so they make me think, and since we can tie this all back to social media is Brian Jordan Alvarez, I know he does relatively good in booking, but on social, he does these characters that are weird and funny. And he recently wrote a song that then got him on like Good Morning America and like BBC. And now he's doing all these things. And I watch and and Adam Ray, I see always posting his stand up stuff. He's been doing after 20 years. He's been doing it for 20 years. But the point is too, like, A, they're both using social media to their advantage. Like I'm sure, while you do stand up for 20 years, doing it on TikTok and the clips and everything is kind of a relatively new thing. A and B, when I was coming up with my like mom character that I do on TikTok that rose, I was watching other, you kind of see other creators that are in your beginning wheelhouse. And I've watched a lot of these people grow. They've gotten jo- one girl who I kind of came up with, she got hired by a production company to be a ri- on their writing staff now. Okay. And the, what I've seen is the the constant is they just kept going. It's hard to come up with ideas every day. It's hard to get a video that gets a hundred views, but no one quit. And if you keep doing good work and you keep challenging yourself, I see this with JRS students on social media. They, you keep going, A, it's a creative outlet and hopefully it makes you happy. And B, quitting is the only way that you're definitely going to fail. But I love the people you brought up. Adam, um, Brian Jordan Alvarez, yeah. uh, Hannah Pilkis is so great. Hannah, yes. Yes. But I watch, and your mom, I mean, your stuff with your mom. What I would watch, I even watch Adam's journey. Like Adam, he's always, and he's always had such a unique sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And that was where he found an opportunity to express it, right? And Brian Jordan Alvarez, I mean, some of his posts are so fucking weird. Him just like listening to music with the radio, but they're honest. I think that they are authentic representations of their inner life. Yeah. And so, and your mother is obviously an authentic representation of your inner life. Right. So I think that I'd love you to talk about that as we, you know, come to the end. I hope everyone's made it this far because I think this is really important is it's just like you're acting, you know, and, 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 and writing is that we don't want you to write something that you're like, oh, this will sell. We want you to write something because it's a story you honestly believe in. That's an authentic, it authentically expressed from your imagination. You're like, this needs to be told. And I think for social media post, we can tell that social media post that is done to, you know, like this will get a lot of likes versus something that is like it, this is a authentic expression of me. And I feel those are the ones that actually have legs. I, I don't, I think that I'm leading you into a response. <laughs> well, I <laughs> standard uh, question asking uh, podcast format. Um, yeah. I mean, I think anyone who's made it on social media probably did not do their first couple of videos thinking that they were going to reach millions of people. Right. And I think the key is you keep doing it. You keep seeing and I tell this to my clients as well. I go, I always say, don't expect anything to happen for three to four months because you're just figuring it out. I did tons of TikTok videos that were so dumb and had nothing to do with anything that no one watched. And then I did one video where I played my mom and it got a hundred thousand views. And then I was like, oh, let's try this again. Million views. 
And they're like, okay, I'm on to something. And what freedom it has to feel like, oh, now I kind of know the parameters in which I'm I'm creating in, and that opens up a whole bunch of more ideas. And yeah, you can't create virality. And what you said, John, is so true also in marketing. People don't want to buy a product. They want to buy a story. And so right. and I think that's the same in acting. And that's the same in creating social media stuff. Like I have a, a client that makes a, a dog harness. And she just, and she's a very new businesswoman. So she just wanted to keep posting pictures of the harness and say, harness is on sale. Get the harness now. I go, no one's going to like these posts. No one cares about your harness. <laughs> There's a thousand harnesses. <laughs> right. And like, Post that I'm going to be at this dog event. I go, no one's going to the dog event because your harness is there. Let's be honest. The key is then what we, so what I did is it's a harness with a tracker pocket. So you always track your dog. So I go, why don't we find dog memes on Reddit and then I'll recapture them with something that has to do with feeling safe that your dog or that your dog has run away or peace of mind. And all of a sudden we went from 20 likes or two to, our, I think my last post got 170. Now it's still low, but like, do you see the difference when you go from like, I'm me centered to yeah. audience centered and creativity centered? And I think anybody can think that about whatever they want to create. Everyone's like, Dave, uh, can we have a talk? I don't know what my brand is. I got, I don't know what your brand is either. I think you got to start making stuff, figure out what both makes you happy. And then hopefully one of those things that makes you happy is connects with your audience. And then once those things match, then you're kind of off to the races to then show, okay, how do I, how do I repeat this? You know, I'm struggling with the mom thing. I've been doing it for two or three years. It's a little tired. I'm like, okay, I'm not even, I'm not a mother. It's hard to come up with new mom ideas. So then like, what's the next thing that like makes Iron Hot? It makes me think of like a Saturday Night Live guy that retires from Saturday Night Live. They're like, well, what do I do now with like this character? Like I do characters, but like, where do I go with that? That's kind of how I, like, I got this one character. What do I do next? It's scary. And I don't right. know, I don't know what the answer is. So I'm back at square one as much as anybody, uh, the rest of our are, and the rest of people are. And the scariest thing is you just got to try new things knowing it'll fail. Uh, the aversion to failure is, is the theme. people from creating. Yeah. Yeah. But you got, I, we don't talk enough about that. The, the willingness to fail, to fail on social media, the willingness to fail in acting, the willingness to try something, it's not going to freaking work career wise. Um, and you, we can always course correct. Well, you how know? many stories have we heard from a casting director be like, this person set this audition totally wrong, but their swing was so great that I thought of them for the next thing. Yeah. You no, know, I remember on my, like, to me, it was not a, for me, it was a big job, but my first like top of show guest star was an ER and I fucked up three consecutive takes because my gun kept on falling out of my holster. And I was living with, it's a long story, but I was filled with so much shame. Look at me. Look what I've done. I cannot believe this. I'm, I'm that jackass. And literally we're shooting a scene later and Anthony Edwards hit his head on a, on, on like the, the light in the hospital twice and screwed up a take. And I was like, oh, people are screwing up all over the place. This is, and they laughed. Yeah. And I was like, this is very rewarding to know, like, I'm, it's okay to fail on set. Yeah. Uh, as long as you care, you know, as long as it's not from apathy. Oh, sorry. I fucked that up. Right. And like, it's not like you're failing in your performance. You're like the good stuff is there. There's just some funny like accidents in the way. That's, like, they didn't give me the proper holster to fix that's the right. gun. It's like it fell out. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, do you, as we kind of come to a close, um, I would love that, that idea of the stories we tell ourselves, yeah. you know, I know for me, I, it was a really unhealthy way of thinking. Like, for example, if I remember even when I was in New York and I was doing pretty well in New York, but I went to an open equity call to get into a play I couldn't get into. And I remember telling myself a really bad story of like, oh, so I guess I'm the guy who's got to go to the open equity call when there's other people who don't. Yeah. Or, oh. I'm, I would start to label myself, right? And I really had to overcome that to identify everyone has their own journey. Because then I also remember there was someone who I used to see at open equity calls who then became a, like a, a huge Broadway guy and, you know, in a million movies and doing great. And he, he wasn't telling himself that story. 
But I think sometimes we're the ones who tell the story. Oh, I'm the one who, I'm the one who has to get this serving job or, oh, I'm the one who does that. How, what would you, what's your recommendation to stop telling yourselves those stories? Well, hey, I wish I was coming from a place where I can say, well, I've stopped telling myself those stories. No, but, but it's great that you, but it's great. So what do you do to negotiate those stories? I would say, I would say the biggest change I've had in the last year and a half is many days I'm able to say, in terms of how it pertains to acting, pertains to acting is I'm happy today, even if an audition comes through. I sent this audition in, I'm not going to think about it because I'm happy anyway. And so the uh, my ability to kind of create a life for myself where my happiness, my excitement, or my sadness is not solely based on my auditions and my bookings, which for a long time they were, which is ironic because I wasn't even getting that auditions, but then all you can think about is how you're not getting the auditions. And so I think the more I've been able to create a life for myself where I say, I still love to act and I love I love that excitement of that audition in the email, the sending in the tape. Am I going to book tomorrow? That will never go away. And I think we're all addicted to the, to the dopamine rush of those moments. I missed that during the strike and I can't wait to get back to it. So I'll never, that doesn't go away, but my, I don't have this like unhealthy desire need for acting's attention in order for me to feel fulfilled in a day. And I think that's the most healthy spot any of us can hope to get to if you want to have a long career out here. Because if your self-worth is determined by if you've booked a job lately, you are basically screwed. You're screwed because the guy next to you did book it. And now you, not only did you not book it, you have to stare the guy in the face that just did and you want to kill yourself. <laughs> so, and, you know. and, and in the wake of, but I think we're witnessing this right now, in the wake of a almost year-long strike, we've watched a lot of people uh, not book jobs. Yeah. But not because, just because there were no jobs to get. No jobs. And so I think this has really been... Uh, I think a lot of people have confronted themselves right now. And that has suddenly taken away different than the pandemic though. Yeah. So the pandemic, we were all in something together. Yeah. We were all cast in a role, stay indoors, don't get sick, save the world. Right. 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 Survive. Was, it, whoa, was that yeah. survive? Yeah. We didn't know. We had no, no idea what was happening, but this was different. Right. And this was, a really interesting time for people to take an inventory of their happiness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think I watched you have your social media, have those things. It did, you know, obviously listen, it affected a lot of people in such a negative way it, all over just because just economically, yeah. you know, from servers, caterers, I mean, just people who all these other industries that are, that really depend on the entertainment industry being alive and active. Yeah. So, you know, but I think it's, it's it, when you suddenly remove that as, um, as a mindset, right. Of like, you can't let your self-worth be determined by booking a job. It really gets back to how hungry are you to be a creative in general right now? I think that's the key is you have to both say, I don't want my self-worth to depend on the acting, but then you have to be proactive and deciding, okay, so where am I going to put that energy as well? You know, if it's not into, if it's not hundred percent in acting, where else? Cause I think we, if any of us are just sitting around, no matter how much we try to have a healthy mindset, the, the negative thoughts set in. So I think it's, it's up to everybody to decide where do we want, where can I put my focus in a healthy place? Even if it's traveling, working out, whatever that gets you feeling like, okay, I have other purposes through the day and through the week to look forward to. Well, this podcast is a product of that. Exactly. I was literally like, I don't, I, like, I want to create something, you know? Yeah. Hashtag actor life. David, you are a lovely guest. Thank you. This was fun. This is fun. Um, I think uh, uh, before we had one last question, uh, just a couple of just, we're going to try to always bring in standard questions oh. and uh, we can edit this out. Just know. Um, I think in order to survive in this career, you have to, uh, you will receive awful advice 
and you must ignore it. What's some awful advice, career advice that you've received that you have thankfully ignored? Well, I do remember uh, one in college, there's a casting director from Disney that came and he was the guy that said, if you're going to be an actor, you should, first of all, you shouldn't do it. If you're going to do it, you can't care about anything else. It's the only thing that you can think about and most of you will never make it. And I think it's that bullshit yeah. that makes all of us come to LA and turn down William Morris opportunities or turn down just even the idea of being happy doing anything else. Because the, the, the tough thing is there's going to be a guy that does that and makes it, but then there's going to be the hundred people that do that and they don't make it. And yeah. they were set up to fail. Um, and then I, you know, I've had, I've gone into like manager meetings and a guy was like, well, you know, your teeth are a little yellow and like your nose is a little big and maybe you're too tall. So I don't know. We're going to have to work on some things. And the point being like, we've all also gone into something where someone just shits all over your face, <laughs> all over your worth and you leave and you just want to kill yourself. And you think, well, okay, we've all been there. And that says, I think more about those people than it does about us and and you have to stick to the things that make you feel good about yourself and try not to let the negativity, which I think after the Me Too and thing, I think people are nicer even to men, but that's still out there. And so I think any of us can point to a time where we were made to feel bad from a casting director or agents. And that's the kind of shit you got to let go. Les Moonves told me I, I had gotten a job uh, and I knew a guy named Bob Dale used to be the head of Warner Brothers who got me like some internship uh, over, I think it was Lorimar or whatever division. And I met with him real quick and he, and he knew I had gotten into grad school and his one advice was, don't be an actor. I was an actor. And yeah. I love, at least my thought was, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Like, why, why am I, live? who are you? You're just the person who became the head of C CBS. But I will say this is that he was talking about his own journey. He's like, that's why I'm the head of CBS right now. Look, if I didn't act, I wouldn't be here right now. And I think if you use acting in the right way, you figure out what you really do want to do or what you really like. Who's to say that there's the, the right journey? So that teacher scars this person by going, you'll never work. I go, but maybe you'll find out who you actually are and what you actually want to do. And you won't have the regret of wondering, what if I would have gone into acting? Yeah. And we're all just trying to live life with as few regrets as possible. I love that. I think that's a great place to end. All right. David Abbott, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Um, for having me. Congrats on the podcast. Thank you. And um, I'll see you in class tonight. <laughs> I'll see you in class tonight. All right. Hashtag Actor Life is a John Rosenfeld Studios podcast produced by Pave Path Productions, filmed by Haley Tucker, sound engineering by Haley and Adam Tucker, sound mixing and original music by Brandon Liu and Brandon Liu Music. To learn more about John Rosenfeld Studios, visit www.johnrosenfeld.com.